0: Well, hey, very, very, very glad to have you guys. Really appreciate you guys signing up and uh, taking the time to come to Leadership Institute. What we're going to do tonight is make sure you know what, why we're doing it and what's involved in it. Now, uh, let me clear up one, one thing at the outset because Aaron's already asked. Hey, I plunked down my 40 bucks <laughs> and you, you give me this. <laughs> so... <that's laughs> So here's the some of you probably perused the uh, preview copy of this is what you actually ordered for your $40. And uh 2 weeks ago when I was started my trip in China from China, I ordered 15 copies of of this and they're arriving tomorrow. So, I'm just I'm just going to say it ain't my fault and I'm le- I'm leaving it at that. And it's, apparently some people want to see the order form <laughs> and the date on it. So, Really, I was, I was shocked when these guys contacted me and said, hey, you know, we send these to the printer, and then the printer's got a delay, and then there's Thanksgiving, and we'll have them to you on Monday. I said, that's perfect, my, my first meeting's on Sunday. But it's okay because uh, one of the things you have in front of you is the first lesson out of the book. They sent that to me as a PDF with permission to go ahead and copy it. So you'll have the first lesson that you can work on this week in preparation for our meeting next week. And I'll explain what that involves, okay? So let's ask the Lord to uh, meet with us, and then we'll get started. Father, we're thankful to you for the many ways that you bless us uh, most profoundly in the relationship we have with you because of Jesus. And then, Lord, you have uh, blessed us with uh, the opportunity to serve you in the work that you're doing in your world. We thank you for the wisdom that ordained the church, And we thank you that you allow us to play a part in what you're doing uh, through your church. And so I thank you, Lord, for these men who desire to grow in you and who desire to be used of you. And, Lord, that's why we're dedicating this time over these many weeks, over several years, to train ourselves to be uh, efficient tools in the hands of the Master. So we pray that you'll bless this opening session and the sessions we have going forward to that end, and we commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why do we uh, do this? And uh, let me explain uh, why it is we why it is we do it. Uh, many churches, in the way they go about selecting leadership, it's really a warm body approach uh, to leadership. It's, if you got a pulse and you're willing, then then we'll take you. And can't find one? And if there's any oxygen to the brain, we'll, we'll you know, <laughs> but again. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, many churches have been harmed by that kind of an approach to leadership uh, and have really ignored uh, the fact that God spilled some very important ink in Scripture about qualifications for leadership in, in his church. So if we're going to take that seriously then we need to have some kind of a mechanism to train guys and to vet guys for leadership in his church. Certainly that's true for those that would serve in the biblical offices of pastor and deacon, but then also those who would serve to lead various ministries within the church as well. And so we've been announcing this as a means for that. You've heard us say that this is a requirement if one's going to be considered for the office of deacon. And also, we encourage anybody who aspires to lead in, in ministry to, to take this as, as well. Because the pool of people that we select to lead our ministries is going to come from a leadership institute. So to have you guys, and we have at least one other guy, Jerry Pruitt, who's going to be with us but had to, had to work tonight. So to have this group of 14 or 15 guys, who are willing to set aside this time to do that, is a great thrill. That's in addition to dozens that have already gone through this over the uh, last several years in in our church. So why do we do this? We do it because God takes the qualifications for leadership seriously, and therefore we need to as as well. But when we started the church uh, back in 2001, in the run-up to launching a community, one of the things that I did was interview veteran pastors, and ask them if you had it to do over, what would you do differently? Because I wanted to, from the outset, as best I could, learn from the wisdom of others. And sometimes that wisdom is acquired through error, and mistakes. So, uh, experience is the best teacher, especially when it's somebody else's experience. So, I want to I want to learn from somebody else's experience ahead of time. And so I asked several guys, and to a man, no no kidding. One of the first things that they said was. I would have begun training leaders earlier. A lot of them discovered too late that they needed to be actively training guys for leadership in the church. Some of them never got around to it. Others got around to it, as I say, too late. So we wanted to do that very early on. And so in January of '03, this church was launched in September of 2001. So less than a year and a half after our church started, we had our first sessions of, of Leadership Institute. And then we've run this several years since. The last couple of years, we have not, and many of, all of you have been around for that period of time, or most of you have, and you know we haven't run Leadership Institute. The reason is, is because we started Men's Fraternity. We had a scheduling problem. It's really been hard for me to figure out a time for us to schedule this, but it's important. So I've been racking my brain trying to figure out when can we fit this into the church's schedule And when we changed the community group format last year so that we have these gaps, uh, it offered an opportunity to do that. So so why Leadership Institute? God cares about the qualifications for leaders, and uh, experience has shown that it's a huge mistake and can harm God's work if uh, we don't actively train leaders for the work of the ministry. Other guys have gone through that and said so. And so if God's work is going to move forward, and if it's going to do so as it ought, then it's only going to be done on the foundation of, of godly leadership. And godly leadership uh, requires three things. It requires character, it requires knowledge, and it requires skill. And it portends very well for our church that we've got you guys uh, in addition to the number of guys that have already gone through this. So I have in first in the material you have in front of you the introduction which asks that that question, you know, why do we do this? And I've already explained some of the biblical reasons and some of the practical reasons, but here's another perspective on why we do this. If you had three years to change the world, what would you do? Many of us would first set out to design a program, get an auditorium, design a brochure, promote it. Jesus spent his time with 12 guys. In fact, sometimes he'd leave the others to be with him, the others that he he was teaching. And often, in fact, As you read through the Gospels, the crowds are just looking in on what Jesus is saying to those guys. So he's talking to the the apostles, and the crowds are gathering around, and they're just overhearing what it is he's, he's saying to them. That's the kind of time that he spent with the 12. So there's Jesus' example. That's one of the reasons that we do this. But in addition to that, there's the command to pastors to train God's people for ministry. And you really find the job description for pastors best in Ephesians 4 that we have printed for you there that says Christ gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. But but here's why. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So, what's what's a pastor supposed to do? Well, a number of things, but you want a, a chief definition, you find it there. It is to prepare God's people for, for works of service. And if that's going to happen, that means doing what Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses now pass on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's 2 Timothy 2.2. So if a pastor is going to prepare God's people for works of service, then Paul says, 2 Timothy 2.2, that one chief means that that's going to happen is through passing it on to other guys who are going to teach others also, and that's guys like you. And so that is one of the major reasons, then, that we have a, an intentional way for leadership development. Now, that word that's translated prepare in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, middle of your first page, it's used in the New Testament in uh, three ways. It's used, the same word is used to restore someone from brokenness and sin. Uh, it's used of providing what is lacking in someone's faith and obedience. And it's also used to train another by example and teaching. So if we're going to be leaders, then we're going we're to do all of those in one way or another. We're going to be involved in restoring people, in providing what people need in their belief system, their faith, and then they 're acting that out in obedience and then training people by our example and by our word so if pastors are going to if pastors are going to fulfill their job responsibility if i 'm going to fulfill my job responsibility, if pastor Matt's going to do that, then we 've got to have some means of doing this so that you 've got guys who can who can help with that and I say in that middle note there that this means that pastors do more than preaching. And one of the mistakes that we make in pastoral ministry is to think that the sum total of what we do is, is preaching and teaching. It's, of course, hugely important. Uh, you know, Paul's last words, literally, to Timothy, his last words before he dies are preach the word. So it's hugely important. But it's not the only, only thing. And, in fact, I say in that note there, Pastoring is not less than preaching, but rather it involves more than that. In fact, one way that preachers can improve in their communication of God's word is to concentrate on being better pastors. And you see that example of Paul with the church in Thessalonica and also in, in Ephesus. And if you were to read those passages that I have there, you find the kind of time that he spent with them, and as a result of that time with them, he got to know them, and having gotten to know them, he knew what it was that they needed to, to hear. And so that made his preaching all the more effective because he was, he was pastoring. And the more we have men who are qualified to shepherd in God's church, then the better we're going to know the heartbeat of our congregation, what we need, things we need to address, and, and so on. Okay? So job description of a pastor absolutely necessitates that we have some kind of an intentional process for, for training leaders, and that's what Leadership Institute helps us to do. Paul was explicit, as I say, to his protege, Timothy, I mentioned earlier, 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you heard me say, entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. So what is, bottom of that page, the equipping pastor to do in order to entrust the sacred deposit of truth to other people? Well, Hebrews 13.7 gives us a good idea of that. It says, to remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, And considering the outcome of their life, imitate their faith. So if you break that down, uh, it tells us three things about the life and work of leaders. They engage in character formation. Notice the the verse mentions the the outcome of their life. So you've seen their life in the context of ministry, in the context of family life. You see their character playing out in those contexts, the outcome of their life. So they engage in character formation. But also, these are people who spoke the word of God to you, so they engage in theological, doctrinal formation as well. And then they were able to lead. They led you. And so an equipping pastor is going to look to do all of those things, to see character formed, to see an understanding of truth, doctrine, theology formed in would-be leaders, and then also the skills necessary to lead, so that is the kind of foundation that then leads us to why it is we, we need leadership institute. So the result of all of that is that pastoral leadership has to have a has to have an intentional way to produce that, to produce the and, and evaluate the character. And to provide the theology and the skills to develop leaders. So the result is, top of that next page, the development of associates, who then do likewise with other people. So you guys see the pattern there. You know, you, you've got pastoral leadership's got to do that, got to do this in the lives of other people. Trust it to reliable, faithful men, and then see those men develop their character, their theology, and their and their skills, and in turn then those guys, you guys, can then do that in the lives of other people as well. And that's how we multiply disciples in God's church through leadership development who in turn leads leads other people. And so that's what I'm talking about top of page two. Associates do likewise. And you see that pattern in both the Old and the New Testament. So Exodus 18 is an example where you find the wise counsel of Jethro to his son-in-law Moses. And here's what this lengthy passage tells us. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute it's brought to me, I decide between the parties, and I inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I'll give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties there to perform. But select capable men. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this in so command, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Now, Here's, here's one, of the, one of the great miracles in all of the Bible. The next line you're going to read in verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. And he chose capable men from Israel and he made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they served as judges at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, the simple ones they decided themselves. So you see that pattern going you know, back to the New Testament. And so if, if leaders think that they are indispensable, think that they are superstars, think that everything's got to be handled by them, then, then the work of God's ministry will be bottlenecked at them. If that person gets hit by a bus, <laughs> now what do we do? And how many times have you seen that happen in organizations in general, you know, quite apart from churches? but then churches in particular, where you have somebody who's been the, the leader for a long period of time, but people have become overly dependent on that person. And then when that person's gone, they don't know what to do. You know, you see it in football coaches. I mean, really. I mean, you know, all right, I'm, I'm almost over it. But Michigan's still recovering, right, from, <laughs> from Lloyd Carr retiring. So so, what do we do? You know, we always, had, we always had a succession plan going. I say we. I'm making some assumptions here. But, uh, you know, so you got Bo, and Bo's legendary, and then Gary Moeller, and then after Gary Moeller, you've got Lloyd Carr, and you, you had quite a succession going for quite a while. And then Bill Martin, he's not related to you, is he? <laughs> the athletic director at Michigan, you know, now Lloyd's retiring, And he decides to go get some guy from outside who understands nothing about man and, you know, just set them back for years and they're still recovering from that. Now they're on their way back. Okay. So I'll prophesy. But nevertheless, you know, you you see that and you see that there's not a succession. There's not a succession plan. You see it in churches. I could name churches for you right now where you don't have people prepared to step up into into leadership. Pastor retires or he dies or something, and now and now what do we do? And the church flounders uh, for for years. And it and it just ought not be that way. The truth of the matter is, uh, there's nobody that's indispensable, one in God's work. And the load of ministry and the work of ministry ought to be spread to as many men who is, are willing to to grow in the Lord and learn of the Lord, and to develop the character and the theology and the skills to be leaders. So you see that pattern in the Old Testament. You also see it in the New Testament, bottom half of page two. The process of training and delegating in the ministry of Jesus and of, of Paul. And so the Jesus model down on the, on the right side, you, know, you have Jesus, of course, as the principal leader. And you know, Jesus, down at the very bottom, he would have large groups of people, you know, at one point, the, the Gospels tell us that he had a, a group of the 70, and he sent the 70 out, a larger group. But out of that group, there was a, a smaller group, the 12. And then even among the 12, he spent a lot of time with Peter, James, and John, and he would pull those three, those three aside. So you had possible leaders and potential leaders and, and proven leaders even among the group that Jesus would minister to. And then on the left side, you see the same kind of thing in the ministry of Paul, where he gives that uh, command to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2 that we've seen. You've heard from me, now entrust to reliable men who will be able to teach others also. And so the others are possible leaders. These faithful men are potential leaders. Timothy and some of the others have proven themselves and that's all stemming from the ministry of, of Paul. So, so those categories of possible leaders and potential leaders and proven leaders. You look at the top of page three, and the paradigm, the model then, is this, that the principal leader invests himself in identified proven leaders. But proven leaders, in turn, commit themselves to potential leaders. Potential leaders are developing possible leaders. And then these are just some general principles that go along with seeing that happen. Principal leader being involved at all levels, discipleship in small groups rather than one on one or huge groups, and both informational but also relational dynamic in the discipleship that, that goes on. So that's the kind of model that we're trying to follow at our at our church. You know, we're trying to identify the wider base of, of possible leaders. And that's really any man who's willing to be considered to to develop his, his character, his theology, and his skills. But to then see those guys move to the next rung of, of, of potential leaders and then proving themselves and then investing themselves in the next rung down. So we've tried to structure our, our, our training that way. So roughly it goes like this. Uh, if you look at that pyramid, um, you know, you've got... We invite all men, any men who are willing to come to men's fraternity. And we have a training vehicle for possible leaders. And then we invite any guys that are willing to take a a step up from that to come to Leadership Institute. That's what you guys are are doing. And then guys who who are proven leaders, uh, you take our leadership team. Uh, We... Uh, have something called elders and leaders training. And uh, uh, the same people that put out the material we're going to go through here put out material for that next rung on the ladder. And then at that kind of pastoral letter uh, uh, rung, principal leader, uh, we have something called pastors in training. So at each of these levels, we've got something. And if you get all of those going and you get guys funneling through that, then you're, as far as I can tell, you're hitting on all cylinders, right? You're making it possible for as many guys who are willing to grow in the Lord and grow in their leadership to do that and to move as as far as their gifts and ability and desires will will take them in in God's work. And that's what we want to do then with you guys. So middle of page three again. If CBC desires to grow as a church, it's imperative that we develop godly leaders for our homes and ministries. Our vision is to be a healthy community of faith. You know, that's our vision statement. Uh, our, our mission statement is that we exist uh, to help people learn about God, love him and others, and live for his purpose. That's our mission statement. But our vision statement is just who we wanna, what we want to be. Our mission statement is what we do because of who we are. So what do we want to be is simply a healthy community of faith but you have to know what the, a profile of a healthy church looks like we teach that in our newcomers orientation the, orientation the seven vital signs of a healthy church what we say here when healthy churches have healthy members and ministries it usually originates with healthy leaders so one of the seven vital signs of a healthy church one of those seven vital signs is servant leadership And without servant leadership, you ain't going to get the rest of the stuff. So if you don't have healthy leaders, you're not going to have a healthy church. Generally, a church will be no healthier than its leaders. So you heard me say last week in last week's sermon from 1 Peter 5, you know, about shepherding God's people, that everything falls on leadership. (laughs) You know, we can screw things up. And by God's grace, if if he allows us to follow what he has said and he Creates in us us a desire uh, to see those things implemented in God's church, and then by his grace, then things can rise on that kind of leadership as well. So, who can be a leader? It's tempting for our churches to absorb definitions of leadership that are based on worldly values. Would you guys agree with that? That churches can make their selections of who would be leaders based on values that come from the world rather than come from Scripture. You know, there's all kinds of, all kinds of um, uh, data available to show that the world sometimes unconsciously values things that really don't matter, but they're impressive. Um, they, they've, they've done studies, you know, controlled studies to show how certain people rise through organizations based upon their external appearance, based on how they look. Even things like height matter in the world. Um, and so, you know, somebody's, somebody's taller, they, they automatically kind of command more respect, command more respect in a, in a room of people. Now there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also nothing biblical about that either. Right. And those things say zero about anyone's character and the Bible focuses on, on someone's character or if someone's been successful, say in business, then, you know, the world looks at that and they, and they value that. And again, nothing wrong with that if somebody's done that, you know, honestly. But it really gets to be a bit much in the world. I mean, I'm always a bit amused and concerned also when I hear owners of franchises always referred to as Mr. So-and-so. Have you ever noticed that? You know, so when the players talk about Mike Illich, it's Mr. Illich. Now, I'm good with respect for people who, you know, are your boss and, and all of that but it's always people who are wealthy. I mean, they they never say about, um, you know, who's the GM, Ken Holland. They never say Mr. Holland. So if it were just a matter of who's my boss or who's my superior, then it would be Mr. Holland and Mr. Illich, right? But no, it's Kenny. (laughs) Kenny Holland and Mr. Illich. So I'm not on a crusade with that, but it's just simply saying that it just shows you the kind of value that people put on them wealth and accomplishment in business. It's all fine, but there's nothing biblical about that. And then you look at the church and you look at how the church selects people for leadership. And I'm here to tell you, for pastoral leadership or other uh, areas of leadership in the church, there's all kinds of stuff written by supposed church gurus telling you that this is the kind of profile you need to create if you want people to gravitate toward your leadership. And it's all based on this worldly kind of stuff. So what we want to do is be very careful that we use God's values, biblical values, rather than even unconsciously, unintentionally absorbing the world's values. So here's this humorous but convicting look at how different Christ's evaluation is from the world's. So here's this fictitious memo to Jesus of Nazareth from the Palestine Management Consultants. And they say, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you'll want to study them carefully part of our service, will make some general comments. These are given as a result of staff consultations and come without any additional fee. It's the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We recommend you continue your search. (laughs) Simon is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The brothers James and John place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas has a skeptical attitude that would tend to undermine morale. It's our duty to tell you that Matthew's been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus have radical leanings and show a high score on the manic-depressive scale. Only one shows great potential. Ability, resourcefulness, business mind, meets people well, ambitious, highly motivated. We recommend Judas Iscariot... (laughs) as your controller and right-hand man. Now, you know, it's funny, but you think about it, right? You look at it from a world's perspective. Here's your guy. And the rest of these guys don't qualify. And, of course, this was the guy who betrayed betrayed Jesus. So, So what is a godly leader? A godly leader is one who uses his influence to move others toward godly objectives. So in a nutshell, that, that's it. Uh, a godly leader is one who uses his influence. Um, uh, John Maxwell, some of you guys familiar with him. So this guy was a pastor. Now he's just a you know, management leadership guru. What has he got? The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership or something like that. and A bunch of books on leadership. And they're all, you know, they're all helpful, mostly worldly in their perspective. But nonetheless, they're, they're helpful. Common grace kinds of principles. But uh, he has this definition that just says leadership is influence. Influence. Leadership is influence. But I've expanded that to say a godly leader is one who uses his influence to move others toward godly objectives. So, you know, I buy what he's saying. Leadership is influence. But one who, you know, you can have all kinds of leaders who are influencing people for all kinds of things. What we want are godly leaders. And yes, they influence, but they use their influence to move others toward godly objectives. So this definition does not focus on abilities or skills, but influence. And the godly leader's influence consists primarily, primarily of his character and example. So you notice back a few pages ago, when we were talking about from Hebrews 13, 7, if you're going to try to develop leaders, what are you going to try to form in them? Well, you're going to have character formation and theological formation and skills formation. That order is on purpose. Character first, theology second, skills third. If you get somebody with skills without character, look out, right? Um, I'll wax political for a little bit here, but you know, back from 92 to 2000, I think we had an example of a guy like that in the White House, in uh, Bill Clinton. I think he had a guy of absolutely tremendous ability. So he has a Rhodes Scholar, great, excellent communicator, can explain things at a level that most people can understand. Uh, great ability, great skills. But he had some serious and obvious character flaws, didn't he? And, you know, thankfully... Uh, those character flaws didn't cost us too much. they certainly could have I mean his his woman problem, his character problem with women, um, you know one of the reasons that's so dangerous I mean, apart from violating biblical norms but just on a a, a political uh, scale and and leadership as a leadership issue, that uh, you know these women you're with can can end up blackmailing you and this is one of the reasons that you know, the people that were in the know about what JFK was doing for, for all that time were so concerned. I mean, he's pallying around with people who have mob connections, including women with mob connections. So anyway, these character flaws can be costly is the point. But somebody with skills can get themselves in position, and then in posi- it's after they're in position that you see these character flaws. So the first thing you want to do is test as best you can from a human perspective the character. And of the individual, that's going to be considered for leadership. And that's why the scriptural qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, what do those focus on? They involve some skills. There's just a couple of statements about skills. Almost the entire list is devoted to to character. So a godly leader is one who uses his influence to move others toward godly objectives, but this definition does not focus on abilities or skills, but influence And our influence as godly leaders is primarily based on our character and example. And as a result of that, any Christian man can be a leader. If it's really influence, and a Christian man then is pursuing spiritual growth and he's developing in his character, then he can use that influence to move people toward godly objectives. And that's what a godly leader does. So potential, the the pool of potential leaders is every man in our church. That's the way I look at it. And any guy who wants to, to grow then is one of those guys who can develop the character that can be used to influence people toward godly objectives. So, guys, I'm glad you're here and you've already shown some leadership initiative by registering and throwing down your 40 bucks, taking the time, showing up for our first meeting and I hope for subsequent meetings as well. So because character is foundational to godly leadership, our focus is going to be on what the Bible says about godly character over theological and and skills formation. The fact is it doesn't matter how much Bible we know or how organized we are if we do not have godly character. So that then brings us, that's what this is about, that's what we're trying to accomplish. Does that uh, make sense? You guys understand? Any questions about any of that, sir? They're developing it. Yeah, they're developing it. You know, uh, one of our objectives for 2013 was to launch a more robust women's ministry. So we've been doing that. The women's ministry is, is doing more than, than they have. Uh, but, but part of that was to identify a godly woman, a proven leader among women who could lead that. Tracy has taken that. Tracy Carrico has taken that on. But, you know, after fighting with the Lord, you know, for about a year, Tracy would tell you this. So she was doing the, you know, Moses routine. Lord, you know, I, I can't do this. <laughs> and then finally she succumbs, and, and this is what the Lord's calling her to do alongside her husband, you know, Rich, who's heading our men's ministry. So they're a perfect team for that, and I'm thankful that in God's providence he's, he's put them there. So as of a couple of months ago, Tracy's taken that on. And as part of taking that on now, she's met with my wife, otherwise from the leadership team, other ladies in the church uh, as well, to now put together their strategy for training women okay, so they're going to try to put together something akin to what we're doing with the with the men anything else i'm rec- uh, yeah and i'll Pete, actually, I hadn't even thought about it. Pete came in and said, hey, you want to record this? And I thought, that's not a bad idea for guys who can't make it if we get called to China the night before or something, right? <laughs> and, you know, Jerry had to work tonight. So, yeah, so we'll, let's do that every week then. And then if you have to miss, we'll have that. Okay. Anything else? All right, take a look then at the next set of notes you, you have. And that next set is the introduction to the material that uh, we 're using and the and the notebook that we 'll be going through, which will arrive tomorrow, but this is called what we 'll be going through together in twelve sessions is called the mission so this this manual is one of four uh, manuals that is put out by a group called the Center for Church-Based Training. And this particular one is called the Mission. Now, what are the the other three? Uh, The other three are uh, the leader, the church, and the word. And then this is the Mission. So you've got these four manuals. They're not in any particular order. And so we're starting this group out with this one, the Mission. We could have started with any of the other th- other three. The reason we're starting with the mission, let me let you in on a secret. So why we're starting with the mission. Is because uh, how many of you have taken any of our leadership institute to this point? You took... I, I did about three years ago in that story that we first read about yeah. Judas. I remember that. Okay. And, uh, you took the... You, I don't know which one it was. You took, the, you took the leader. Okay. Yeah. And you might have taken some of the leader... The leader, the leader is what you took. Then we've had this couple-year hiatus because of men's fraternity. So you haven't taken this. And then you've got three others you haven't taken, or two others besides this one. There's probably three with no oxygen. Or no oxygen. So So why why this one? Well, okay, you guys have taken some. Uh, Ed Martin has taken three of the four. So I'm talking to Ed, you know, a couple months ago, and I'm saying, so which one have you not, you know, he's been after me. When are you going to start that back up again? I go, okay, we're starting it back up. You know. Which one have you not taken? And he says, the mission. So really the only reason we're doing this is so Ed can check this off of his bucket list. <laughs> and after Ed has completed this, then we won't do it again, ever, ever again. No, we'll, we'll go through the whole deal, Lord, Lord willing. So that's the reason, really, we're starting with the mission. We may as well. They don't go in a particular order. Uh, so you can start with any of them. So we'll see what the mission focuses on. The other three, the leader, focuses on uh, what a leader is and what a leader does. Twelve lessons on that. And then uh, the church focuses on what a church is and what a church does. And then the word focuses on theology, doctrine. So those are the other three. And then this one, the mission, is about, remember there's the one called the church, what a church is, what a church does. This is the mission, and it is, you know, what the church is called to do. That might sound like it's the same thing. It's not. This one is about the church with a capital C, the church in general. The manual called the church is about the work of the local church then. Or to put it another way, then this one looks at, kind of steps back and has a high-level view of what God says about what the church overall, the body of Christ, is about in the world. What is the mission of the church in the world? That's what this is about. And then when we do the one on the church, it'll focus specifically on uh, the ministry of the local church. The word focuses on theology and doctrine, and then the leader on wh- who what a leader is and what a leader does okay so that's what the the mission is about now you guys are going to uh, this week then if you're able you're going to do the first lesson in of 12 in this mission notebook so each of the four notebooks has 12 lessons so over the next several months we're going to plow through these 12 one issue at a time, one issue each week. So how are the how are the lessons uh, put together? Well, this is how they're, they're they're put together. Take skip over to page two of that introduction, and you see it says the learning process there. Everybody got that? Page two, the learning process, the mission and I would add all the other three as well, the leader, the church, and the word, they all involve you in a proven learning process called the six-step wisdom process. This process is based on the way adults learn best, presenting them with a problem and helping them find a solution. On the inside back of each issue, you'll notice, get the most from the church leadership series. And note the two main sections. It says, prepare well, come to participate in the learning process. In the prepare well section, you've got the first four of those six steps. And it involves you in personal preparation. Through step one, it's called grasp the issue. You'll wrestle with the main questions that need to be answered in order to understand the issue that's being studied. Step two, you'll study the scriptures. So you'll align your thinking with key Bible passages regarding the issue at hand. The third step is to consult other sources, put you in touch with key chapters and articles on the subject. And the fourth step is to form a response. You will personally process and respond to what you've been learning. And then there's a second major category of what we do. The first one is prepare well. Then there's come to participate. That's step five, discuss the issue. It challenges you to explore what you've learned with your leadership team or group and then take action to obey. So that's what these guys use in that elders and leaders training that our leadership team uh, is going to use. Same process. This is the same process that's used in the discovery series that we do on Wednesday nights that Pastor Matt teaches as part of our core uh, foundational classes that we want everybody to take. The same group publishes the Discovery Series, and it has the same six-step process to it. So everything they do, they've got this six-step process. Okay. So each of the lessons you'll do, during the week you'll do the four steps under Prepare Well. So there'll be each, each lesson will deal with an issue, and it'll describe the issue so that you can think about it and grasp it. And then you will study the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say about this issue? And the lesson will lay out passages for you, ask questions about the issue in those passages. And then consult other sources. Every one of these lessons has at least one, usually two, sometimes three, articles in it written by leaders about that particular issue. Those articles are usually very helpful. So you'll read those articles. And then the fourth step is you just have a paragraph where you form a response to what you learned from reading those articles, studying the scriptures. Then we come together, come to participate. Step five is we discuss it. So when we come together each week, the main thing we're going to do is talk about what it is you learned in that preparatory process. Now I'll lead that discussion, and I'll offer some uh some insights that I've gleaned from it or from experience or or whatever to try to try to help uh But the main thing that we will do when we come together is discuss, and they give five, six, eight questions for us to go through together based upon what we've done during the week Now there's going to be some weeks where you're just not going to be able to get everything done, okay. So we understand that. I'd encourage you to come anyway. But most weeks, if not all weeks, try to get it done. That's the, that's the point. They've laid it out for you fairly well. You know, the, the, the first few times, it'll probably take you longer uh, to get through it. And the more you get the hang of it, and then we come together a few times and you hear the discussion, uh, then you'll be able to do it a little quicker. But you'll have to put some time into it. The good news is it provides you a systematic way to be in God's word every week, about an important issue. Scriptures to look up, articles to read, and then we come and we, and we discuss it, okay? So that's the way this, this thing is laid out. That's the way each of the four manuals is laid out, 12 issues related to the overall topic of the mission of the church in, in the world. And all of them, as I say, are set up that way. So if you look at the last packet you've got, It's the very first issue, then. So this is a copy of issue one, which is contained, you know, in here. But unfortunately, I had to make copies for you instead of giving you your manual. So you'll take this home with you, and you will go through those first four steps. So if you take a look at page two, you see you've got step one: grasp the issue. And it's just three paragraphs there as you read those that help you say, okay, I see what we're trying to get at, what we're trying to solve. And then they've got some quotes from a number of people related to that issue. This is still all part of step one. Then on page three, you've got case studies. Page three and four. So that is all designed to help you get your mind around, okay, this is why this issue is important. And these are some of the potential pitfalls that you could uh, fall into as it relates to the issue at hand. But then there's the second step on page 5. And that is uh, studying the Scriptures. What does the Bible say? And you see it's giving you the option of choosing one of the following Psalms. Psalm 47, Psalm 95, Psalm 103, and it's telling you what to do with that. And then uh, it encourages you to look at the passage in in Matthew. And then on page 6, you take these passages from Matthew and you fill in this chart. Describing the central point about the reign of God you think Jesus is making, summarize the response you think Jesus desired. So you've got those six boxes to fill in from those three passages. And then there's the articles that I was telling you about, the uh, consulting other sources. That begins on page 7. And there's two articles, the big picture by Joel White and then an article by John Piper. And those go all the way through page 20. So from page 7 all the way to page 20, 14 pages worth for these two articles. And then the final thing for you to do in preparing is to form a response. And you just answer these, these questions based upon what you've looked up in Scripture and what you read in those, those articles. And then we'll come together next Sunday at 6 o'clock and we'll discuss it. If you see on page 22, there's the discussion questions. And there's six of them. So you don't have to, in fact, you shouldn't, Write these out, these discussion questions. We'll, we'll discuss them when we, we come together. I mean, you can if you want. Uh, but the final two steps are the things that we'll do together uh, when we meet on Sunday evenings. So that's the curriculum. Four manuals. Each of them has 12 issues in it. The first manual we're going to go through is the mission of God in the world through His church. And we'll have 12 issues related to that, starting with God's reign in issue number one next week. Each of the issues has that six step process to it. You'll do the first four each week in preparation for our meetings together and then we'll come together and discuss it. That's how it'll go. Okay. So is that all is that all clear? Any questions about about any of that? Anybody? So, you know you've got this that we had to to copy and so you'll do your work and write it out on that. And then you'll get the manual. And I'm I'm hating life on that because, you know, you want your stuff in the manual. Uh, now, the manuals are coming tomorrow. So Wednesday I'll have them here. But that means you've got a couple of days, three full days, that you haven't been able to, you know, do it in there. So if you're able to get to this in the next couple of days, and you can just take some time to transcribe it into your notebook. I'm sorry you have to take that extra step, but I ordered the stuff two weeks ago. What can I tell you? Okay? So the books will be arrived tomorrow. We'll have them for you Wednesday. If you wanted to come and get them before that, yours before that, we can make arrangements for you to do that. But that's how it'll go. Okay. That is that's it. Okay. Now when we get together to discuss, we normally take about an hour and a half. So this introductory lesson takes an hour, but normally it'll take us about an hour and a half, as we've done this in years past. When we first got going, uh, used to we used to go about two hours. We got a little more efficient with it. Especially with us doing it at night. So I expect around seven thirty we'll be done each week, six to seven thirty. Well, that could have been too. See, we were meeting on Saturday mornings back in the day. And uh, so we had donuts and coffee and there was lots of fellowshipping going on, you know. So but meeting in the evening and after dinner and all that like this, we can kinda of get right into it and by seven thirty we should be done most nights, if not all nights. Sir. That you were worried about getting this thing done? (laughs) And you just cast all your care on the Lord, huh? (laughs) That's good. Well, thank you for that confession. I mean, that testimony. (laughs) All right, any other comments, any questions? (laughs) This guy, for sure. All right, so if you guys will just take that lesson, do those first four steps on God's reign. We'll meet at 6 next week. And uh, we'll meet every Sunday. Oh, in fact, uh, I did have a schedule laid out for you on that introductory stuff. We meet next week. And then two weeks from tonight, we don't. But that's because that's the adult Christmas fellowship here. And then we'll meet for four Sundays after that. And then uh, community groups will start up again. Community groups will go for six weeks. And then we'll meet after that. So we'll get four of these 12 lessons done four meetings to discuss four of these before community groups start up again in January. Then they'll go for six weeks, and then we'll pick up with the fifth issue in here. So through that process, we should be able to get through two of the four manuals in a given year. Uh, And that's half the time that it was taking to get done before, because we were meeting one Saturday a month, and we actually ended up meeting 10 months rather than 12, because... Different months had men's retreats and that kind of stuff. So it actually took between four and five years to get through the, uh, the four manuals. This way, God willing, we can get through all four within two years. Okay, So we'll do four of the issues before we start up community groups again in January. Six weeks of community groups, and then we'll start up again. Okay? All right. I'll see you guys next, uh, next Sunday.